Hello, my name is Katherine Moore, social worker, mom, coffee lover, and founder of Social Workers Rise, where we inspire social workers to connect, expand their knowledge, and change more lives than they ever thought possible. I'm so excited you found my podcast. We will talk everything social work on every level from micro to macro. We will hear the stories of social workers who are doing big things, learn new skills, and most importantly, give you actionable steps to make a difference today. Let's go. Before we hop into this episode, it's important to acknowledge that being a new grad and a new worker can be really hard sometimes. It's not in your head. It really can be hard. And grad school just doesn't teach us everything that we need to know to be successful in the real world with our jobs. So in order to bridge that gap, we created the Clinical Essentials for the Future Therapist. This course will fast track you into honing those skills that you need to actually help your clients in an individual setting. It'll save you time when you're trying to figure out what the heck to document. It's going to increase your confidence in your abilities that you are doing this right and give you the tools that you need to be even more effective. And it's going to improve the professional quality of your notes so that when your colleagues and your coworkers read them, they say, wow, that's a really thorough, detailed note. I love it. Let's do this. And it provides clarity on how to help the person. So if this sounds like something you would benefit from, definitely check the link in the show notes for the clinical essentials for the future therapist. With that, let's hop into this episode. Hello, welcome to another episode of Social Workers Rise. This week is so much fun because we are talking with Sarah Dooling, who is a official play therapist, and she's going to give us insights into how to work with teens in who are experiencing, you know, the effects of this pandemic, how to work with them, also how to work and support their parents, and what are going to be the long-term effects that she thinks that we should expect to see. Um, Also, she's going to cover how you can also become a play therapist. If that is something that you would like to know more about, definitely listen in. Let's get into it. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Catherine. Gosh, this is amazing. (laughs) I I was totally amazed yes I know the magic of podcasts (laughs) well hello hello how are you today I'm good I am loving Fridays as we do yes yes me too Mm -hmm. so I am excited to to dig into this with you today so you are a play therapist. I am. And you offer, you actually offer play therapy workshops. I love that. Oh, um, that's my favorite part of what I get to do. I'm so glad you love that. 
Yes, yes. Because I feel like everyone, everyone loves play therapy. Like we all love to play. And even though it's geared towards kids and teens, which is what we're going to talk about, you, you know, like play therapy works with adults too, even older adults. Um, you know, from what I've had in my experience, have you um, seen the same thing? I love hearing you say that. Yes. Uh, you know, I was just speaking with someone about this in supervision. I think that going through the credential process for to become a registered play therapist, super, super duper informed my practice with adults. I think it really helped me internalize that message that like, well, like in play therapy, we say that we are the most important toy in the room. You are the most important toy, whatever interventions you're using, you know, if you aren't able to show up in that way. And I, and of course that we know that translates with adults. Um, so I think it just really helped me become a more like person centered therapist for adults, which, which I'm grateful for. And, and I do actually bring in some straight up play occasionally with, with my adult clients. That's great. How, I know that everyone's going to want to know, how do you become a play therapist? Another one of my favorite questions. Well, gosh, if you had <laughs> asked me this two years ago, it would be different. We, 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 I say it like I am the association, but they've recently changed the requirements. So to become a registered play therapist, you have to have a, a master's degree and a, and a license in a mental health field. So you have to be a licensed clinician. However, you can start working towards your credential while you're also working towards your licensure. And then it's 150 hours of coursework in play therapy theory and special populations. I, there's a bunch of really awesome providers who are, who are putting out those workshops now. Um, plug, I'm one of those providers. Um, and then um, if I can plug myself there. And then it's um, 35 hours of like specialized supervision with a registered play therapist supervisor. It's going to just be another plug, but I'm, that's my, also my other favorite thing to do. Um, yeah. And then it's um, like the same way with our license. We have to do a certain amount of clinical hours. So it, it ends up being about two, like similar to what you're asked to do for your license. So um, yeah. And it's, you know, five observations, your, your supervisor observes five sessions, you know, virtually or in person. And, um, but it's a beautiful process. It can feel like it takes a long time, but um, it just was such a game changer for me. I really feel like it, it just saved me and made me fall in love with the work all over again. That's amazing. So if I'm hearing this right, can we become certified in play therapy as we are acquiring our clinical hours? licensure you can work towards it you can't apply okay. for your credential until you are whole are actually hold a license in a state okay I understand that makes sense so some people do it concurrently people who really have their act together I did not it wasn't until after I got my license that I kind of stumbled upon it but I supervise a few people now who really have timed it so that <clears throat> excuse me as they're pursuing their clinical hours they're also going to classes every weekend from play therapy and and you know kind of doing it at once that to me it's a okay. lot of pressure and a lot of planning but it's possible but you can't actually submit your application until you're licensed okay okay that's great to know because I know our listeners they're on <laughs> if they well, can well, you know do, do all the things at once I know that they will and they will at least want to know what their options are Yes, yes, yes. And I, I mean, the a uh, the Association for Play Therapy website is, is a great resource for all kinds of things. Um, certainly anyone, if I can point you in the right direction, I'm always happy to answer 
you know, questions about the process, it can, it can be, I think, daunting to, to read the website over and over. And if you just have like a human, you can run a question by here and there, it can be really helpful. That's great. Thank you so much for that. I'm going to put your information in the show notes. Um, that way people can, yeah, people can get in contact with you. Um, but I, what I really want to talk about is, you know, very timely right now is, you know, how do we support children and teenagers through all of the changes that have been happening in the past year related to the pandemic and COVID-19? Mm-hmm. Um, because it just seems like everyone, you know, parents that I talk to and teenagers, especially that I talk to is their whole life has been flipped upside down. You know, mm-hmm. teenagers, they, and I think maybe specifically about teenagers is what I'm curious about, but you know, because their whole life is friends and social connections. And I've heard from multiple people that they're concerned that their child is becoming depressed Mm -hmm. because, because of having to stay at home. So I'm just curious, you know, what do you like, what do you think about all that? Is it possible that they could be becoming depressed? Like, could that trigger depression? How do we support them? What do we do? Please, please help us. <laughs> I would, I would, I'm going to give it my best. Um, I do think we're, we're, we're seeing that. I think we're, we're certainly seeing, um, you know, like, I think we're always reluctant as social workers to, to pathologize. And this is exactly why right because you have all these wild environmental variables that come in and of course then we're seeing symptoms of depression and anxiety um and it's just like i feel like so validating as a social worker like we always knew this stuff is really environmental um and and then of course how how do we treat it um but yes absolutely i am working with people i know i know colleagues who are where it's you know, kids and teenagers who weren't exhibiting any symptoms like that. And, and that wasn't their temperament, you know, and then six months in, eight months in, 12 months in, um, yeah, they're starved for connection, starved for play, um, all of that. So yeah, it's, it's, it's looking like depression. I, I agree that that's what we're seeing. And then, but then I think it, yeah, for, so for our question in the, our, our, I guess what, what is posits to us that in the mental health field is so how, how are we going to, coach parents really advise parents support parents um because of course they are the ones who have access to their kids right for 24 hours a day now mm-hmm. um and how are we going to support in the mental health field I think it's going to look so different than it did pre-pandemic in terms of the, the kind of counseling we're going to do right so I guess we can kind of split it up into two ways you know how do we support parents and then there might be some of us who are asked to speak with the children mm-hmm. because of these behavior changes. You know, if we are a school social worker or maybe a hospital social worker mm-hmm. where someone has come in, you know, um, really upset about the social, the changes to mm-hmm. their social life, you know, how do we, how do we support parents one? Mm-hmm. And then as social workers, like what are some techniques or tips or maybe even some games or interventions that we might mm-hmm. be able to play with, with the youth to just open up that conversation and, um, and start to build that rapport and, and that trust. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. I gotcha. So the parent piece and then, yeah, really kind of getting into it with, um, with the kids, with our actual work. Um, so okay, I'm going to start with parents if that feels okay to yeah. you. So I do, I feel like there's this whole new 
niche in the play therapy world. I'm just, I'm just branding this right now. I don't know if anyone else has branded this of like pandemic parent support. Like this parenting looks really different. Like you said, everything's been turned upside down. We, um, what's also, as many of us have talked about, like as providers and clinicians, we are experiencing, you know, these kind of same environmental stressors, not, not exactly the same for each of us, but in terms of the pandemic that our clients are, and that's like somewhat unprecedented. Um, so I think, and I know you'll be a big supporter of this, like the first thing that popped into my mind is clinicians have to be taking care of themselves. We have to make sure we're finding ways for ourselves and our and our peers, our social work family to, to put our oxygen masks on. Um, Cause you are like, we're just holding space and holding space and holding space. Um, so that I think is just was, was speaking to me as you were talking. Um, yes. And then I know you're always supporting everybody with that. Um, in terms of the parent piece, I really think parents need, every human does, but I think for me, parents especially really need to be seen and heard right now. Um, I know it's kind of like, I'm a broken record about that lately, but, um, I hear that so much, you know, from my friends and from, you know, other people who I know of, like, it's like no one gets how much I'm doing. Um, and that's how it feels, you know, for all of us who are going through it, like every, from the minute your eyes open, right. Until you pass out, like you're juggling so many things that we never thought we'd be juggling. Um, so I am always just trying to find a way to just see and hear parents just to give them like small doses of that. Um, of yeah, this, this is like nothing you've ever done. This is, I have a supervisee who always says it's just like stress on steroids all the time. Um, and that's what parents are going through. And I think to be able to hold space for parents in whatever doses we can, um, I think when they're feeling seen and heard, it, it helps, you know, them be better equipped to help their kids feel seen and heard. Um, so if you're mm-hmm. seeing them as a practitioner or whatever your inter- interactions might be, um, I think just doses of that, being mindful of giving doses of that. Yeah, I think that's a really good point that you bring up because it reminds me of my work with caregivers mm-hmm. because you know, like parents, they're doing all the things like it's a 24 hour job, all the things. And it's every single freaking day, like day in and day out, you don't get a break. And when I would say something to the extent of like, I would reflect back about everything that they're doing, how strong they are, even if they don't feel like it, you know, I see you and I Mm -hmm. see you doing all these things. I see you holding the family together and I thank you. Mm. And just thanking them and showing that gratitude, like it brings some people to tears and they don't even realize that they're doing all of these things. And even if we just told them, thank you, Mm -hmm. it would mean so, so much to them. So yeah, I really like what you said about about just acknowledging everything that they're doing. Um, and I think too, I think too, what I've seen is by listing out all of the things Mm -hmm. that caregivers do, or I would imagine, you know, same thing with parents, by listing out all the things that parents do, it validates Mm. why they feel so tired. (laughs) Oh, it, yes, it's bananas. And I, and you know, I think they're so, gosh, I mean, so many parents are so hard on themselves. And I've had parents say like, I don't know why I'm so tired. I don't know why I'm so irritable. And it's like, well, duh, let's write it all. I don't actually ever say that to a client, but like, let's write it all down. Like, cause when don't you say done, I swear I don't, I mean, I hope I don't cause maybe I do. Um, but yeah, 
I mean, it's just incredible. It is just a mind melt to me that people are are balancing what they're balancing and then doing the kind of work people are doing. Um, and to feel like, um, you know, we, we certainly have like v vaccine hope now, right? But like to feel like for so long, there was no end to this and to have had nervous systems be in this hypervigilant state for almost 12 months, well, 12 months really, right? Like just the impact that has. <laughs> on how you move through the world is so great. So um, yeah, I think just really, you know, handling handling caregivers and parents and siblings and everyone with as much care um, and love as we can when we get the opportunity to give them doses of that. I also really recommend if parents ask me explicitly for like suggestions or advice um, to try to to, I know not everyone has this luxury, but to find um, like a daily check-in person. I actually, this comes from my own anecdotal experience, my best friend in the whole world. We decided at the start of this, we were going to try to check in every day, which is like totally unreasonable to do by phone, right? If you're a parent and you're working, but we decided it would just be text. It could be like one word, but it was something to know that like this other human, like you were on their mind. Um, and it was great. And then we would start to do like, we were in different time zones. So like, what's your stress number, so, right? So like we would check in on that every day and I see that she was a nine and it didn't mean I could really do much to help, but I could like hold that, you know, for the the day. So it, it's become so hard, I think, for parents to, as it is for kids, to connect and to feel like they're a part of that support system anymore. So I think that to find who is your person who you could have a daily contact with, even if it's just, you know, a one word text message or an emoji. <laughs> Mm hmm. Yes, I like that. And I think it's even more powerful when it's when it is your friend when it's not the therapist. Oh, um, yeah, that's a lot to put on us. You know, if you're listening to this, don't think it has to be you. Oh, no, it shouldn't be you. Sorry, that didn't come out. Yeah, it should not be you. <laughs> no, it definitely has to be like their people like uh, no, I did it with my, my best friend since elementary school. And I tried to get my sister to do it with one of her colleagues. She's really close with no, definitely not you. Um, thank you for clarifying that. Because I know I like the listeners are so sweet and so genuine and they will they literally will be that person. And so I'm giving you permission and like validation. It, it shouldn't be you no, yeah. because we need to encourage them to utilize their own support systems because you you know, us as the practitioners, we go on vacation, we have you, our boundaries. You sure do. Hair time. <laughs> yes. And you need to keep your oxygen mask on and right. Like we're social workers. So we want to build capacity all the time, right? Work ourselves out of a job because we just want the systems to work so well without us. So yes, definitely help them. I mean, I think we do a great job helping them brainstorm like, Hey, gosh, there's this one friend I've heard you mention a bunch in here, or here's this other person, you know, sometimes we've maybe heard sound bites that they aren't paying attention to. Um, but yes. So that's just one of like the interventions I'll encourage parents. I love that. I love that. Thank you. So how can we help teenagers? Um, I have zero experience here. So please tell me. how. Well, you were a teenager. We're going to go off that. Sometimes that I feel like I know, right? That's like our most, although we didn't have to be a teenager during a pandemic. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I thought a lot about this when you and I were first exchanging emails, because I feel like I have to be transparent on here that like m m most of my play therapy work is with like kids under 10. However, I absolutely see teenagers in my private practice and have done, you know, worked with schools for, for middle school populations. Um, 
I really believe in the healing powers of play, like you said, for all ages. And I think for middle and high school kids, for teenagers, um, we really have to work to kind of invite their inner child to come out, which always sounds like a little hokey when I say it out loud. Um, but, you know, they, I was thinking they're just in this tricky um, place where, you know, they, they physically present, right, as gosh, adults sometimes almost. And I think we end up having really unrealistic expectations, kind of the world around them based on how they look. And really like there's a 13 year old, you know, brain and heart inside of that body. So I think that therapists sometimes from in my experience, and I have done this myself, I'm kind of like a little bit too nervous or self-conscious to bring in play thinking like, oh, it's just going to be rejected right away. So I guess one of the first things I'd encourage is to, if, if, and we, I can talk about more specific ideas, but if play f- feels good to you and, and you believe in kind of the spirit of that and that work to to trust that I rarely have a teenager who isn't open to trying anything. And then it's so awesome. They'll just tell you if, if they don't like it. Um, so I would say one to, to be open. I hear clinicians a lot say like, well, it's a teenager, so I can't, I couldn't use play. Um, so I would say to just make sure that, you know, you quiet that narrative if it's happening for you. Yeah, I like that. Do you have any simple activities that we could do or use or that you found to be effective a lot of the time? Would it be funny if I was like, no. Yeah, I do. I do. I swear I do. Um, I do. And I'm wishing now, I, and I maybe you and I can kind of find a follow up because I'd love to be able to, It's. I know it can be so helpful when there's a visual to go with this. Um, maybe I could get something to you too that, that, that would be helpful for people to see. Um, yes. So for zoom sessions, I, um, okay. So just, I'm going to try to, I know it gets so long winded when I start talking about this. I mean, I think for me, unconditional positive regard and safety are, you know, always right at the forefront of our mind. I think with teenagers, if we're cultivating that in session, we've done a really awesome job. I think the world feels really unsafe when you're a teenager. The world feels really unsafe when you're a teenager living through a pandemic. Um, and I think a a lot, almost all of the relationships in their lives feel conditional, right? Like the relationships with peers, which are the most important thing are also really unpredictable. You know, lots of times there's kind of this tumultuous relationship between parents and family. So I do think I will come up with some, I have some specific ideas, but really focusing on cultivating safety and, and delivering unconditional positive regard, which is not easy to do over Zoom, um, but possible. So I use a lot of hide and seek questions. So when I would do this in my office, I would tape different like questions and feelings like in different places in my office. I I really like having, you know, kids and teenagers moving um, and they would have to find them. So often they were the same questions, just ritual questions. We would start with like, what was the worst part of your week? Or, you know, what was a time this week when you got through something really hard, you know, whatever your ritual questions are um and they would just be hidden so to me there's just like magically restorative playful powers in hide and seek like I believe since the beginning of time people have been playing hide and seek and and teenagers have always been pretty open to it when I've done this so I'd like hide up between the couch cushions or you know under the carpet so what I do now over zoom is I have um just like a really big Tupperware and I just put uncooked rice in one um I have one that's just a bunch of different like dried beans just because that one's different colors I like how it looks 
and I have all kinds of little strips of paper that I have cut out and bagged by category. So like I have a feelings bag, I have a getting to know you bag, I have like a communication skills bag um, with different, I'm happy to send you a bunch of sample questions too, if that's helpful for anyone to have access to the ones I use typically. Um, Yeah, I wonder if we can do, you know, the week that we release this podcast, maybe we can do a face or an Instagram live. And I would love to see these little bags and jars that you have. Oh, I would, Catherine, I would love it because it just like pops more (laughs) when you can see it. And I totally have gotten over my self-consciousness of like being all, you know, quirky in front of the screen like that. So I would love to because I think it could be really useful if people can see. And it's all stuff that's really like affordable and adaptable and you know you can just have it at your desk all the time to be able to if it gets you know really feels awkward right for new clinicians this can happen and quiet like oh there you go you've got your big rice thing with your different questions I have ones I have a huge bag that's just would you rather so that right like I'll mix in the would you rather ones with maybe some that are a little bit you know a little bit more deep um just to keep it. So that's, I would say my absolute go-to. So I have one that's rice. I have a kinetic sand one, beans, just to, just to mix it up. Um, Yeah. I feel like that's super helpful and easy enough for us to do and integrate, you know, into our work in whichever setting or population that we might be with because it just makes it a little bit more fun and slices it up. That's exactly it. And I just when you get that inner child moment and that like kind of neck down moment, it's just it's like such a sweet spot for a like relational experience. You know, I just think it helps everything. Um yeah, I use it in supervision all the time. We start with (laughs) some kind of hide and side the supervision set. Um so yeah and you know they're adults and get every you know you see facial expressions change people kind of lighten up a little bit so um yeah, yeah. that's been my, my favorite zoom option okay so we will you know you're listening to this right now you can go to my instagram at social workers rise and chances are we'll you know, I'll have it scheduled out for that week. Or if this is later, you can watch the replay, you know, in the Instagram stories or um, in, in IGTV, it'll be in there in my replays, replay therapy. Thank you, Sarah. I have, you know, one last question for you. It's more of a macro large scale question. You know, what are, given all of these changes and the teenagers that are like going through this, I can't help but think, you know, what are the long-term effects that we might be expecting to see on a society level? And I know this is purely like hypothetical, but, you know, given your experience, what is your opinion on that? Gosh, I thank you for that question. I think it's such an important one that um, I think is is on all of our minds a lot of the time, like what will the ramifications be kind of on a large scale for our, our, our children of all ages. Um, I mean, I think there's a lot of things that we're going to have to brace ourselves for, I think in the, in the clinical world and that, that sounded ominous, but in terms of when we return, you know, as like a primarily, I was a school-based clinician for 10 years. So when I think about the work that will, the, the safety that will need to be cultivated on school campuses, it's, I mean, it's intriguing to me because I think there's so many ways to do it, but it's, I hope that that stays a priority. I think again, just people's sense of safety has been so kind of contaminated and, um, and, 
to me, like for, for kids, that's the most important protective factors. They feel safe. So I think there's just a lot of really creative work that will um, need to be done. Um, I think on a, but for a large, so that's kind of in terms of like the school, school systems and school districts. I will be fascinated to see, I have a four-year-old now, so she was three when we really got into this and to see, she's a very social extroverted child, but um, to see her now, if we're walking down the street and there's someone coming even far away, she'll say, we have to cross the street, mom. Or, you know, like her mm. mask was pulled down and she was like, mom, you know, pull my mask up. Um, and and that's <laughs> going to be, or she'll like hold her hands out, even if we haven't touched anything, right? And be like, germ juice. And that is somewhat intriguing so a little bit worrisome but also I mean it's what it's what needs to happen now so if you can remember back to any um social work listeners who loved their human behavior classes when we learned about the ecological model and we talked about um like adaptability it it's to live through this and think about how in terms of our ecology we have all just found this way to adapt um in this kind of indefinite, right? If, if you all think back to kind of March 13th and every week, right? Every day we would check the news and say, is it, okay, is it done yet? Like, are we safe yet? And who would have thought, you know, 12 months later, we would have adapted to this and been able to continue to, you know, live our lives. And um, I think something that's a protective factor that will come out of this is what I've been hearing from parents and, and teachers is a, a chance to be home and a Although there was such a massive amount of stress, I was able to have this experience with my child and partner or siblings, whoever else is in the home that like I know now I wouldn't have gotten. And I'm and I'm grateful for that time of us all being together. So that I think in some ways it really has been able to strengthen, um, you know, family dynamics and family bonds. I also think I'm, my biggest hope is that we all will be able to really um, kind of like embrace living day to day. I really noticed that shift for myself. I don't know if you noticed that, that I had always been so kind of forward thinking and what was going to happen tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And that, that was for six weeks of the pandemic, really, it was just, I'm going to get through today. And then when I wake up tomorrow, I'll figure out tomorrow. Um, so my hope is that I also think just flexibility and adaptability. I think that we're going to have generations of kids who are going to have be be pretty strong in those areas yeah yeah I definitely agree yeah thank you so much Sarah for sharing all of that it was a pleasure talking with you today it was so much fun thank you for being on the podcast thank you for having me Catherine I will look forward to our IG live yes where can people find you and keep oh, in contact yes. and even oh find me i am so excited of discovering the world of instagram and it is so fun to meet so many awesome people like you so i'm on instagram at heal with play um and that's probably the fastest way my website has all information about me it's just sarahscottdueling.com um but instagram is kind of kind of where i'm at where i'm at more often so check it out. I would love Great. to have you there. Yeah. Thank you so much, Sarah. Thanks, Catherine. We'll Bye. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Social Workers Rise. If this episode helped you, please help me spread the word by leaving a review wherever you listen to your podcast 
and share that you're listening. Tag me on social media. I love it. I will repost and reshare. I love it. Social currency is free, but it is so valuable. Also, I'd love to hear from you on Instagram. I really do respond. I really do love it when you give me your feedback. Lastly, this is not therapeutic advice or business advice or any other kind of personalized advice. To get that, you definitely need me as your coach. So please, again, reach out to me on Instagram. I can't wait till next week. I will see you then. All the love. Bye.